1: California and Texas and New York and we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and
0: Washington and Michigan and then we're going to Washington DC to take back the White House. Yeah! From the second floor of the AC building, for now, it's election shock therapy. We're back. Summer vacation is over. We're here. Everybody's here. My office is full too, of too people. Ma- I would
4: argue too many people are here. <laughs>
0: too uh, uh too too many people. Yes. Uh, who's uh, who's to we'll rectify that? Who's will mic-
4: we leaving?
1: This is Scott Winter from the Journalism Department, English and Journalism.
4: Uh, Sam Mulberry, and I have a meeting, so
3: I'm going to be leaving shortly.
4: Andy Bramson and I have a meeting, so I'll also be leaving shortly.
3: Uh, Mitchell Crum, and I will not be leaving. I'll be here.
2: (laughs) Maddie DeBilzen, I'm a journalism student here at Bethel.
3: And I'm Chris Moore, and thank you all for coming to my office Uh,
0: in early September. We're uh, excited to kick off a new school year here at Bethel University. We'll also, uh, if you've been uh, following this channel, you know that Sam has been posting uh, the long-form interviews from his teaching project.
4: Real good response to those. uh, Actually, like, I've had people that I was surprised were listening to it who really enjoyed them. I think they're great, so, yeah. Yeah. It is No, it's
0: fantastic, and if you haven't had a chance, do go back and uh, listen to those interviews. Do go back and watch uh, Sam's movie, Why We Teach, which is available on YouTube, Mm -hmm. and also, what's the web web address?
4: Uh, It's uh, cwcradio.wordpress.com. Thank you. And that has all kinds of stuff.
0: Yeah, give, it, give that a listen, and we're going to be posting more of our uh, live content, or not live, but our up- updated regularly content in the form of election shock therapy leading up to the midterms this fall, as well as things like um, uh, roundtables. Do we have nothing. Ramsay Gertz coming up. Do we have? Uh, yeah,
4: well, well, there'll be lots of stuff. I'm, I want to. I'm back from sabbatical, and all I want to do is podcast. So we're going to be doing. <laughs> oh, wow. We're going to a bunch of stuff. So everybody in this room is going to get emails. All I want
0: to do is podcast. It's Again. it's sadly true. So I'm sorry, CWC <laughs> students. Right.
4: Yeah. Uh, Chris, did anybody win any awards in the last month that we need to talk about?
0: I heard that Dr. Crumb
4: got destroyed in our summer movie competitions. Uh, I'm thinking of other awards, but. Andy, did uh, anybody win any awards? I feel like I heard something about someone. <laughs> so Chris Moore was awarded the Faculty Excellence in Teaching Award. So congratulations, Chris. Oh, thank you,
0: guys. Yeah, Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if the mic will pick up that little <laughs> That's smattering of applause. That's why I would. Um, right. But we have th- serious th- stuff guys, to talk thank thank about,
4: you. right? So, we, so should yes, probably, we should probably get
0: on to so that. Sam yep. and I should so uh, Brampton and Mulberry, get out of here. We're going to okay. talk about politics. We're done
4: media. being unserious. Here you go, Chrome.
2: Bye, guys. <laughs> All
1: right, go save the planet.
0: So to kick off our 2018-2019 school year, and we've always struggled to figure out, do we want to do some kind of summer in review kind of podcast and try and cover everything that's happened in the summer? And with the Trump administration and this Congress, we've decided that that is just physically impossible. Um, But we need to point out a couple of things that are happening in the short term. One, uh, um, confirmation hearings started today for Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. And they appear like they're going to be spicy, uh, but uh, Mitch, is there any possibility that Kavanaugh doesn't get confirmed?
3: Well, there's always a possibility, um, <laughs> but uh, but he would have to like open fire yes, on a senator. Right? Yeah, it, 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 it would take it would take some pretty serious uh, missteps on his part during the confirmation okay. hearing for that not to happen. Uh, yeah, the the Republicans control the Senate um and with the now that the filibuster has been eliminated for judicial nominees and for the Supreme Court, um the Republicans have a clear path to to this nomination. There's absolutely no um yeah, no no procedural or any other ways that the Democrats can potentially prevent this.
1: And since there's very little pettiness in Washington at this point, I don't see how that would happen either.
0: No, it's <laughs> it's 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 a sea of bipartisanship and compromise um also uh we should talk about uh i have things we're not going to talk about at least right not today we're not going to talk about nike's ad campaign although that might be fascinating Mm, um we're not going to talk about john mccain's funeral although Mm. that was um in turns fascinating and inspiring Mm. and um We have we're we're not going to talk about the president's tweets towards Syria or Iran or North Korea, although those things uh, fill me with various kinds of dread. Uh, What we are here to talk about is um, the role of the media and the role of the media in relation to an increasingly adversarial White House. And we're going to figure out if that's if that's normal, if that's a new normal or if this is an aberration in some kind of way. So to help us as political scientists think through the role the media plays, um, we've asked uh, Scott Winter, a journalism professor, um, and uh, the editor-in-chief of The Clarion, our student newspaper, to talk with us about those, uh, those issues. So um, first of all, why don't I have you guys talk a little bit about uh, um, Scott, would you like to talk first about some of the classes you teach, and then, Maddie, do you want to talk a little bit about the format and nature of how the clearing is currently configured?
1: So just give mm-hmm. people a little bit of background on both of those things. So the journalism department here is housed in the English department. So the journalism major is housed in the English department. And what we've been trying to do is make it more dynamic through through reporting courses that get students off campus. And that's really paid off in, in a number of ways with an editing class that, that goes to the Rondo neighborhood and, and builds a newspaper with students there to investigative courses or feature courses that go to, to North Minneapolis. But I think one of the biggest um, things that we've done is uh, really get students up on the news and really get students involved in internships that have them doing the daily grind of reporting and really understanding what it means to be part of the, of the fourth estate. And Maddie's mm. a perfect example of that. Maddie DeBilzen from White Bear Lake is going to, is, is the editor this year. She, she started this summer, but she's had internships um, at salon.com in New York where she, She uh, went to school at the King's College for a semester, and then came back and spent a summer covering mostly hard news at the Pioneer Press in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I think she's positioned herself to try to um, to lead the Clarion as um, you know a public forum, a student voice Mm -hmm. on campus to um, to do truth telling. But she Mm -hmm. can speak for herself.
2: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So the Clarion is actually um, I think a lot of people view it as a pretty small. Publication here, but um, we actually have, I think, 25 people. Um, at least we have been having 25 people come to each meeting. We've got about uh, 12 people on staff um, doing editing and uh, reporting, and then the rest are freelancers or business people. Okay. Um, so our role is we try to be independent of Bethel. Um, so our role is to. Explain what's going on um, if there's something that happens at chapel, uh, mm-hmm. something that happens uh, changes to staff, we want to cover it um, and the probably the hardest thing that we do is cover things that staff or student ministries or campus ministries advises us not to cover mm. um, because it would make them quote look bad. Mm. Um, So that's the hardest thing about my job.
1: I think Mm -hmm. as soon as students walk into a job like that, that's the thing that surprises them most is how almost on a daily basis they have to make these ethical calls um, Mm -hmm. that they didn't know were always there. Whether it's to run something, not to run something, to publish a name, to not publish a name, whether to, you know, dig further into this situation or not. It's a little bit more complicated at at a private school. It's a little even more complicated at a private Christian school. Sure.
0: Can I ask both of you uh, this is we we'll get back to national politics in a moment. Can I ask you both to reflect on that just a little bit? Uh, I have a sense of of how the fourth estate as a, which is a term often used to describe the media um, it functions uh, at, at the at the state and national level, but in what ways do you often see that the the ethical challenges of being a journalist come into conflict at the being at a private institution, being in a private Christian institution.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, I thought it was interesting at our very first meeting, I asked everyone to go around and um, say, what do other people think of us? And Mm. what do we think of us? Mm. Us meaning the clarion. Mm -hmm. Um, Almost everyone when they wrote down what other people think of us, they said um, unreliable, um, hurtful, words that we're not um positive mm-hmm. which i think is true and i think that we have work to do um it's not like that it's all not true um but then the when i asked them what we what our role is on campus they said that our role is to be a lot of them said our role is to be christian journalists mm. which brought up a red flag for me um because when I hear Christian journalists, I hear PR for God, mm-hmm. which is not what I view our role as journalists to be. Um, so then I went on to explain, I think the role of the Clarion is to um, is the same role as the pioneer press is for St. Paul. It's to inform people, to shed light on things that have happened, um, whether that be good or bad. And I think that we could do a better job of covering the good things. And... Um, better job of explaining why we're covering the not so good things Mm -hmm. but that's our role and so our role isn't to uh, protect anyone at Bethel from being um, covered if they are in a leadership position but our role is also not to just sniff everyone out
0: sure sure
1: I think part of that problem is 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 me- the media, the news media has not done a great job at differentiating, du- differentiating what real reportage is versus mm. just angst on a TV, for instance. So, mm-hmm. for example, um, the problem of, of the media happened long before the internet. I mean, once journalism became corporate and was forced to, to meet profit margins and things like that, um, it changed a dynamic. Um, it, it, and that was always protected in newsrooms, that the editor didn't have to worry about profit margin and things like that. But now they kind of do. And if you see what's happening to, for, in, for instance, right now, I know we're not supposed to talk about <laughs> national politics right now. but Oh, oh if, we will. It's fine. <laughs> if you look at what's happening on CNN right now, how it's, it, you know, reporting is expensive. If you're going to send a reporter into a war zone, it's a million mm-hmm. dollars just to insure them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. Plus, you have to pay um, benefits. You have to pay salaries of you know a camera person, a logistician, a fixer, all those things. It's a lot cheaper to just put somebody with a big name, uh, hire them on retainer, and have them complain about the news. But the problem is, if you're not doing any reporting, and that's my problem with 24-hour news outlets and news aggregators, they're not doing any original reporting, primary source reporting, same kind of thing we would complain about in academia, and they are they are just complaining about the, the small bit of reporting that's actually out there. So now on CNN, um, you just see a lot of Trump bashing, which, which you know a lot of families at Bethel would complain about, which you know a lot of media people would say, or news media people would say, well that's been happening forever on MSNBC and Fox News. The problem with CNN doing it in prime time is that it's working. Mm-hmm. Their ratings are going up, their profit margins going up, and it doesn't do anything for, so the, domo- for the democracy, you know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so I think educating families about what the media is for. I don't think our readers really understand what a clarion would be for and why telling truth about something that's not that pretty. Why, why would we do that? Mm-hmm. You know, Maddie goes to football games and wears her Bethel jersey, um, and she's a big fan of Bethel. But part of being a big fan of Bethel for Maddie is telling truth to yeah. make Bethel a better place.
2: Yeah, I think you touched on it, but the the biggest thing here is students tend to not understand that that's what the Clarion's role is. I think they think that it's almost like a branch off of the um, marketing magazine. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're out to write these pretty stories about um, alumni and about professors, which we do. We we do fun profiles, but we also cover hard news, um, and and we're... um, trying to teach people how to cover news so how are we s- how are we supposed to do that um if we don't ever cover it at school
1: and a lot of people think that the media is trying to double down because of how loud Trump is or because of I mean, our poli- our political climate and 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 how it smells so funny uh that's my <laughs> best way i can i can describe <laughs> it but our director of the Johnson Center that helps fund our journalism programs um, is Dave Kansas, who's um, COO of American Public Media and um, Minnesota Public Radio. And he says, you know, media should not double down on truth-telling. They should do their jobs. Hmm. And we should do it better than we've ever done it before. But we shouldn't do more than that. You know what I mean? Hmm. And that's, that's the media that I think Maddie and I would like to see happening here and nationally abroad. Maddie got a real up-close-and-personal View of a newsroom that was not doing the right things and then she got up close and personal on a newsroom that was doing the right things but didn't have the resources to do what they wanted to do so she's seen exactly what that looks like on both sides
0: mm-hmm. I see an I see a real parallel to what how philosophically we approach our students here in the department um, someone looking on, on the outside of this institution looking in would see the political science department and say well you're training the next generation of good Christian politicians or good Christian political actors, or good Christian lawyers, or whatever the case is, and I, mm-hmm. I think all of us would sort of push back on that and say, well, what we're doing is we're trying to teach people to understand political truth, uh, and political truth is part of the panoply of God's truth, and we and and that's why we're doing what we're doing, and we hope that that uh, knowledgeable, well-educated, truth-seeking people end up doing God's work out in their in their careers, but we're not just a training ground for a certain. Um, a certain um, occupation or a certain and in the same way the clarion isn't designed to just train people to be Christian journalists Maddie to use your term but it's designed to do good truthful reporting about this institution here and then is it if it produces journalists in the byproduct of that then that's also a valuable thing that it does is that
1: is that a fair characterization
2: I would say so yeah
1: I mean your job isn't to produce the next wave of Republican leadership Your job Although is to, that might happen, that might happen. There's nothing wrong with producing a great Republican leader. Your job is to produce great uh, thinkers, right? right? And you know, great leaders. And and that's I think exactly what we're doing in journalism. The problem is uh, nobody can agree right now on on what truth is, what what non-bias reporting looks like. Um, you know, we always feel like in the classroom, our students are best off if they can, we always keep them guessing on where we stand on these issues mm-hmm. and where we stand right. politically because we're, we're, we're taking the other side, we're challenging their presumptions and all those things. We're doing the same things in journalism. But I, I just look at it and the best way for me to understand it to my students and my family <laughs> and my neighborhood is to just look at it from a Vikings versus Packers standpoint. right? (laughs) A Vikings versus Packers standpoint. If if I don't care about football at all, I'm probably going to have a pretty unbiased view of a really close call in a Vikings-Packers game. But if I've got my purple on or if I have my green on, Mm -hmm. I'm going to view that same set of facts, that same play, that same judgment call on the goal line very differently based Mm on based on the jerseys I wear. And obviously we wear red jerseys and blue jerseys. We wear all kinds of jerseys, um, um, ethnicity jerseys, cultural jerseys, all the time when it comes to political stuff. And we bring all that to the table when we look at a story on the front page of the Clarion, much less a story that we see on CNN sure. and in the Washington Post. And I would argue, and I think I've talked to Maddie about this before, that right now the best journalism in the world is happening. I really believe that. And okay. also the worst. The problem mm. is the worst, there's a lot more of the worst journalism out there, too.
2: And the worst journalism is free, so that's what people are most And it's not journalism,
1: at. it's masquerading as journalism because there's no okay. reportage. There. All right, so talk
0: about that a little bit. So, um, this is your chance to, to throw stones or throw shade or, <laughs> or whatever you will, but what's, um, you, you said the worst journalism is free. I assume you're talking about sort of shifts in technology. Is that, is that where you're headed with this? People, uh, um, an unsourced political vitriol showing up on the internet. Is that what we're talking about?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't want to throw stones, but um, the internship I had in New York City was at Salon, Mm -hmm. and I think I I made three phone calls throughout my entire internship, and the rest was just aggregation, Mm -hmm. pulling from other... Um, news outlets where people actually had to pay subscriptions. So like okay. pulling from ProPublica, the New York Times, and just stating what they've already said. And that's not, to me, that's not real journalism. Um, and nobody has to pay to read Salon, so they can just go online and look at what we've aggregated from sources that other people would need to pay for.
1: And 20 years ago, we would have called that plagiarism. <laughs> and 20 years ago, you would be in court for doing exactly what they were asking Maddie to do because it was cheaper to have her do that than to send out somebody to get an original story, which is what Maddie wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Does this, I, so maybe
0: I'm, I'm starting off this, the year too dire here, but does does that suggest some kind of a event horizon for journalism? If, if more and more sites rely on cheaper and cheaper news aggregation as opposed to real reporting, does that eventually drive Actual reporting out of business, and all the editors left to do is feed upon each other in some kind of neutron star
1: um, yeah that 's the bleakest thing i 've heard in about three or four years, and I, I- think it 's coming way to go <laughs> um, i guess I guess my issue with all that is there there has been some backlash, and there are reporters like Marshall Allen at ProPublica who are doing amazing things, but again. The reason he can do that at ProPublica is because they aren't under the corporate pressure cor- ProPublica mm, to mm-hmm. produce a profit margin that you know that that keeps the lights on. They have donors, mm-hmm. and that causes different kinds of ethical dilemmas when you have donors paying for journalism. Right. But really, as long as like let's go back to twenty four hour news cycles, nobody's paying for that. Okay, I mean you pay your Xfinity bill or your Comcast bill, but nobody's paying that program is free because mm-hmm. advertisers are. are you know playing that and but if advertisers are the only check you have on the ethics of your reportage i mean that's not a healthy way to run your business right so stuff that gets online stuff that gets said on tv there's no filter on that there used to be a journalism where you had 5 to 10 sets of eyes that would Mm -hmm. see a story before it saw the light of day to make sure it was legal, to make sure it was ethical, to make sure... Fact-checked. Yeah. The problem back then um, was that most of those people who were making those decisions were white males, affluent white males, right? So that was a problem then. But now, there's almost no filter on it. So it's the same problem with the democratization of the internet, but also combine that with corporate journalism. And you're just not getting a free flow of ideas, but more importantly, an ethical flow of ideas, which is why we think... Um, having a journalist who's a Christian and thinks about, you know, the ethical ramifications of their reportage and, and how to best spend their time on stories that matter as opposed to mm. stories about uh, a Cosby actor getting harassed because he works at Trader Joe's now. Um, you know, to me, are, are we focusing on, on, on the big stories that are that are keeping people up at night? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And do we have the ethical foundation underpinnings? And that could be Christian underpinnings to make those hard decisions. Or are we just not making those decisions and going for a dollar?
0: Well, I'd like to get to the Christian motivation, but I want to, before we get to that, can I talk a little bit or ask you a little bit about, um, and I'm going to look to Mitch here too on this issue. We've gone through eras in American history where um, journalism has has changed its attitudes in its its philosophical approaches, I think it's fair to say, but also we've gone through eras in which uh, the media is more and less trusted. Uh, And I'm wondering, is it seems to me, as someone who who has not studied that history, that the media seems particularly embattled right now. We have a president who is extremely skeptical of large swaths of mainstream media, and the fact that I'm even using the term mainstream media uh, suggests a certain kind of problem about how we're consuming news. Is this novel? or is it extreme um or are there precedents in american history for this
3: uh well yeah i mean there's definitely precedents in american history i mean uh, if you look you know really uh, until you get to um you know the early um 20th century at least um there really isn't anything that we would call necessarily like professional journalism in that sense Um, for the most part what you had what was ben franklin doing then? Well, that's true. I mean, So you have, so you have people like Ben Franklin, um, but a lot of what Ben Franklin uh, and others are doing in their journalism um, is what's sometimes referred to as like yellow journalism, or okay. it's basically people writing screeds against each other. I mean, one of the fun things... So this is um, polemics. A lot of it's polemics. Now, and not, that's not to say all of it is. I mean, I don't want to sort of, you know, I mean, it, you know, Ben Franklin does report real things sometimes, um, <laughs> but... It's you know, not I mean, a ringing endorsement, well, yeah, but I mean, well, it's, 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 it's his stuff is real in the sense that um, a lot of a lot of what he's writing is. Um, You know, if you think if you think about if you think about like uh, you know some of what he's famous for actually is like you know sort of thinking about like his almanacs and things Mm -hmm. like that, which includes um, a lot of that stuff, kind of stuff in his news reporting. So it's things like um, you know parables, almost in some ways, or things like that. Um, But but mixed into that, right, is what's actually going on. I mean, and so a lot of the ways that you would get um, information is essentially you would. You know, you'd have a newspaper and it would have stories, but it would be stories told very much from the perspective of one side, you know, basically a one-sided sure. view of this. I mean, it would, it would essentially be, you know, this is... Um you know uh, you, you know if, if just to sort of make a very contemporary reference if you think about the hamilton musical um you know this is a very historically accurate part you know hamilton at one point to george washington says and i, I don't know if i get the I, I won't get the lines perfectly right but he says you know basically let me attack him in the press you'll see what i can do to him hmm. and so essentially the idea is that hamilton is who's a very good writer will be somebody who'd be able to go out and say things that are really nasty about um you know, Thomas Jefferson and James Madison and, and his political enemies, and that'll be effective. Um, and that's and that's what a lot of media is. That's what a lot of journalism, I guess I would hesitate to even call it journalism. That's what a lot of the press is. Um At that in, era. Of that era, right. Yeah. And that continues. Again, there are different strains and things but that really continues until you get to about 1900 um that that's essentially what what people are are consuming and you have very specifically partisan outlets of different sides um and that's essentially what we think of when we think of the press now the idea behind that and sorry i mean the the idea behind that is that this allows everyone to sort of have their say i mean this was the idea behind the you know the first amendment the freedom of the press everyone can sort of speak their mind you know you have Everybody who can who can say what they want to say, but it was, but there was no sort of pretense or ideal that this be focused on truth telling or that this be focused on some sort of objective facts. Um, those you know, um, you know, one, one of the you know pe- people you know there were all sorts of wonderful accusations about you know that Adams is you know toothless and terrible and sure. uh, you know has all these things which some of which is true, he, you know, he was toothless, but, you know, or, you know, th- you know, things like that, but, you know, but he's not, or, or not tooth in you know, any way, but all these things, you know, some of it's true, but a lot of it is just sort of, you know, vitriol and not, not so, necessarily.
0: So the, so the shift occurs, the turn of the last century.
1: Well, I'd say, yeah, mid or early 20th century, you have the canons of journalism come in, and that's where the idea of objective journalism. Where does that come from? Came. Well, it came, well, you think about the partisan press, the one thing that was, really honest about it was they were honest about who they were Okay. Right and yeah. and what their motives were so they, right. so they,
0: so they wore their, they wore their jerseys exactly
1: we're, yeah. were in these jerseys and and then you have yellow journalism, which is another way of saying investigative journalism, but with a connotation that it 's a bad thing mm-hmm. and and you know there 's a difference between unethical journalism and investigative journalism, obviously, but when you have journalists who are in charge of protecting the little guy or lawyers who are in charge of protecting the little guy what you 're often doing is you 're taking on power well power is able to paint media you know in in a negative light that's mm-hmm. where you get a term like yellow journalism now i don't think anybody in journalism pretends that you can be completely objective uh, Maddie chooses who she's going to talk to for a story. Sure. She chooses what which facts to put in, and those are subjective acts, obviously. Mm-hmm. But in in the end, when you're taking on power, and power has a megaphone, which in this case can be as simple or, uh, or as big as the NFL having its own website that's better than and has more resources than any other like sports media site, yeah. or as simple as a president who has millions of followers and can say anything he wants. About the media, I mean that—that's when it's when it's problematic, and it's hard to tell what truth is. And so, my my advice to Maddie and to any journalist is what Dave Kansas says, which is, don't double down on being mean or over the top like, your like power is who's trying to paint you in a negative light. Instead, just make sure you do your jobs and you do your jobs well. Hmm. I mean, those investigative stories better be tight. They mm-hmm. better not have mistakes. They better be accurate. And we better be asking the right questions, don't you think, Maddie?
2: Yeah, I agree. I think um, one thing I learned in New York too. My professor Terry Mattingly um, s- kind of studies what you guys were just talking about, but mm-hmm. he talked about um, there was there's a U- European form of journalism and there's American form of journalism. The American um, model was used to be um, considered unbiased, so. Like Scott said, you don't wear your jerseys. Um, obviously, there are biases that come naturally, but mm-hmm. there are n- political. There are no like political um, tilts in media outlets. Where now? Where European? The European model would be like um, political figures would own a newspaper, a news outlet, Mm -hmm. and that's obviously yeah. (laughs) That's uh, that obviously poses issues. So as does um, corporate ownership, right? And and being
1: beholden to your advertisers, Jeff Bezos with
2: (laughs) the Washington Post. So so now um, we're kind of. Starting to move towards or what what my professor fears we're moving back towards the European model mm-hmm. um, and so yeah i don't, I'm not sure if there's a way to really solve that because news outlets need a way to make money, and so um Jeff Bezos by buying uh, the Washington Post, he kind of saved the Washington Post, but at the same time that poses an ethical dilemma. Um, having somebody like him mm-hmm. with that much power own a news outlet so
3: right yeah. i think one of the things and uh, i think um in in political science and, and in american politics in particular that studies journalism um one of the things one of the sort of like the the meta uh areas if you will <laughs> sort of the, sort the of larger like step back issues that that that, that america that political scientists who study this look at is the the they, they look at the media and they sort of take sort of a, uh, I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this, but they sort of take a Kantian view of how the media works. And what I mean by that Dr. is... Dr. Crumb, please define what Kantian is. I know. So, so Kantianism, <laughs> just in the sense of the media and the truth that it tells is, 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 is a constructed reality. So, in other words, just like um, when we look at the world, I mean, we, you know, just as individuals and we experience the world, we construct a reality from what our senses reveal to us. Sure. In other words, we don't, we, we aren't, we simply aren't able to process everything. In fact, I recently saw some study that said basically like we only process like the stuff that comes through our senses like, you know, basically like 10% of it or something like in every minute or something. So like, you know, so Which we, small hobby horse does not
0: the same thing as saying we use 10% of our brains. We use all of our right, brains, right. stop spreading that... F- False. Right?
3: <laughs> but but it's simply the case that our, our brains can't process everything at, all, all at once and so what that means then especially when we think about things like memory and, th- and other aspects of cognition um, we're actually sort of creating a reality um, out of those things yes. um, and it's, so it's we aren't able to sort of take in the whole is basically what, what this boils down to so in the same way when you look at journalism then the way the political scientists have, have looked at this is they say we want to look at journalism recognizing that essentially it's engaged engaging in this act of construction um, that you can't you you know you physically can't be everywhere um, you know even if you had armies of reporters they couldn't literally follow everyone who's important they couldn't be at every important event um, in the world and you know of course and, and of course there's questions of access and all of those sorts of things mm-hmm. so on the one hand we recognize that it's constructed and what that means and I think what Maddie and Scott you have just described as you know the choices have to be made you know, you have to decide, where are we sending a reporter? What things are we going to cover? What And, and all of those things are, and, you know, I, I dislike the word subjective for a lot of reasons, but, you know, those things are judgment calls. You have to you have to make those decisions. And one of the things, then, that political scientists want to study and what they want to try to look for, then, is to say, we recognize that they can't cover everything. And I think, and I think just to sort of, before I get into what the political science, what science itself reveals here, um, I just want to say, sometimes people... I think the mistake that people make in thinking about journalism is they think that just the fact that it's constructed means that media is somehow invalid or or biased in Mm -hmm. itself right and that's one of the things that I think really has to be um, you know in in my classes even I mean this is one of the things this is where I try to start um, with students I mean is to think about that the fact just the fact that you have to make these decisions doesn't make it biased I mean just like you know I always use the silly example of like, you know, when you call your mom after your day at school and she says, oh, honey, how was your day? Right. And is that how your mom talks? Well, you know, <laughs> that's ha- weird. However, you Yeah, anyway. But, you know, and and you sell her, you know, you don't start out by saying, well, you know, I woke up and, you know, I looked at the ceiling and I noticed that there's, uh, you know, five cracks. And then I, um, you know, and then and then I and then I rolled over twice. And then
1: you can't run just a, just a, a, the text, the transcript of every politician's right. speech. Exactly. You got to make calls and you have to be a professional by just like when you go to a doctor you're asking for a professional opinion based on that doctor's experience mm-hmm. that doctor's you yep. know education a journalist is trying to do the same thing that's why it's so important that it not be biased and it right. not be a tool for one political Political party or another or a right. tool for Amazon, a tool for Fox on yep. the Rupert Murdoch side. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah.
3: No, that's all good. Um, and I think and I think that's then you know once you sort of have that in mind that that doesn't inherently mean that there's bias. So when Snoop Dogg is on the cover of the Clarion, <laughs> it doesn't mean that we're becoming
1: a <laughs> a rap hellscape here. <laughs> at 694 and 35W <laughs> or
0: a wonderful I, scape I don't I, know I, re- I reject the notion of rap hellscape but yeah, yeah. Um, no I <laughs> love the pop program about the wood beat do uh,
3: um, But at any rate, once you look then at the studies, once you sort of have that in mind that this doesn't inherently mean that it's biased. There, there are biases that political scientists have found, right? And we can talk about those. But what they, what they have not found is that when you're looking at what Chris has described as quote-unquote mainstream news, right? So if mm-hmm. you're looking at things that we would generally regard as sort of tentpole um, journalistic outlets, you know, we're, again, we're thinking Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, um, right. and then network TV news like ABC, NBC, etc. Um, if we're looking at them, so we're looking at the the organizations that are primarily responsible for generating what you described as content, actual journalistic content. Um, then they are hard pressed to find bias, and there have been an enormous has been an enormous amount of stress and bother and, you know, and just is huge, you know, num- numerous research agendas out there um, trying to find this, and it's simply not there. I mean, it's, you know, in terms of the stories that get covered, in terms of uh, the way that those stories are covered, in terms of presenting, you know, multiple perspectives and things like that um, in those stories, um, there simply isn't bias in the way that the media is constructed partisanly. Now, we can talk about other things. I imagine you would mm-hmm. have your own beefs in different ways that the media Tilts and runs and things like that, but in just in terms of raw partisanship, um, that isn't that that isn't really there.
1: But that part—that's partly our fault—that the perception is out there that they that can't trust media. If, if I have to read another survey, another another study that cites the percentage of Americans who don't trust media or don't trust their politicians and all that, right. I just can't do it anymore. It's too depressing. But if you look, there there, there are a lot of like good sources out there that are um, placing news organizations on these on these spectrums of right. conservatism and, and liberalism, including one of Maddie's professors at the King's College has done this, Paul Gladder and he's done it really well, I, I I think. But a former colleague of mine um, was one of the co-creators of politifact.org mm-hmm. at the St. Petersburg Times, which is now the Tampa Times. And it's amazing how even something like that, just a simple fact-checking operation like that, uh, which is they, they try to make it as simple as possible. I mean, it's, it's true, it's mostly true, it's not true, it's kind of true, it's pants on fire. Just trying to keep it as simple as possible. Well, as soon as he introduced pants on fire, I suppose then maybe it's not as simple as <laughs> these right. decisions. But, but he said, yeah, just people already had their jerseys on. It didn't really matter if it was mm-hmm. true or not, and so it, it, it gained power and did really well for a couple of years. But in this media climate, you're not going to change people's minds just by pointing out that a fact is is not true. Uh, it's people can choose not ex- to accept that that mm-hmm. reality. Yeah, they have their own perceptions that they've constructed.
3: Right. And and I think that gets back to sort of the question of what we want from journalism. How do we, and I think this is where I think you're getting at sort of the problem that I perceive, at least most of all, is is the question that we, and and I think as Christians, we bring a particular emphasis to this, is to say, what do do we want to construct our reality? What decisions are we making that are allowing, and this comes back to us as individuals, to construct our reality? Uh, Do we want that to be sort of preconceived, ideas or conclusions about what we about what we wish reality was or do we want that to be grounded in the truth right i mean this is sort of the is sort of the you know if you just to use to use a biblical (laughs) idea right you know you can sort of be you know just to think about like the prophetic era i mean do you want to be israel that's sort of saying oh no i think we're fine everything's great or you know do we want to be open to the actual realities and i think in that sense journalism almost plays a prophetic role where it says if you're genuinely doing Good journalism. You are essentially saying this is what how things actually are. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're somebody who's willing to actually look at and take seriously, you know, genuine journalism that's out there on the ground, pounding the pavement for the facts, mm-hmm. um, then you're somebody who's genuinely wants to know the truth. Just like um, you know, the handful remnant in Israel that are interested in knowing the truth, um, versus the people who just want to hear the next easy thing. Mm-hmm. Is that attention in your job?
2: Is that what in my A- job?
1: Attention in your job. I mean, you making. Mm-hmm those kind of calls all the time in w- yeah when you're deciding what to cover this month this week? yeah it'
2: for me it always comes back to um, the Bible if if you look at the gospels they went into gruesome detail about how Jesus was crucified they didn't that's not pretty um, mm-hmm. but they wrote about it anyways um, but then they also wrote about Jesus Jesus's resurrection and so um, we're gonna write about things that aren't pretty because they're still important, Mm -hmm. we're also going to write about the important things, um, Mm -hmm. that are pretty. Um, so yeah, I think now we're kind of going into Christians Mm -hmm. being journalists. Um, but yeah, for me, my conviction kind of comes from, um, the gospels and how detailed, um, Jesus's story was written. Um, because how would we have known about the accuracy of those stories had it not been for journalists who were writing down the good details and the bad?
1: Mm-hmm. Marshall Allen from ProPublica makes a case, and uh, Chris Gertz has told me that historians use this as well. But in, in Luke 1, 1-4, one he basically sets out that he's an investigative journalist mm-hmm. who's out to report the biggest story mm-hmm. ever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's his job. To take what he has seen which means he was there right you know he had to be present you know which as christians we need to be present and he's going to tell it as accurately as he can and he's not going to be beholden to political forces you know to the leaders of the
3: church he's going to tell it in a true form yeah. right mm-hmm. and i think thinking about that too i mean just once again to sort of think about the gospels as well i think um you know if you look at if you look at the way the p- the the quote-unquote Supposedly powerful people in the church at the time were portrayed. It's not it's not always flattering Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, you think you think about if you if 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 we if if uh, if Luke had been sort of a a partisan journalist Right. I mean he he would definitely not have been talking about, you know, Peter's Peter's failures Right or if you think about Peter being a powerful member, you know, Peter That's that's probably a story Peter would have liked to spike, you know Mm -hmm. Um, Something that that uh, that he wouldn't have he wouldn't have wanted to sort of be on the front page of of, of the latest uh, edition of the, of the Gospel News. And I think if you,
1: <laughs> if you, if you looked at Spotlight, I mean, that, that they show that tension that you see within journalists. They show that really well, especially in Rachel McAdams' character, because that's a story not just about journalism. It's also about the church, but it's mm-hmm. also about community, right? Mm-hmm. She has to live in that community, and her grandmother loves the church, goes mm-hmm. every day, and her having to read that truth on the front page of the Globe was not easy, and it, was, and it affected... Rachel, who who wears all kinds of different jerseys, but when she's a journalist, she has to be a truth teller. It's not easy for Maddie or her reporters to tell th- things that aren't pretty about Bethel, but it is a truth telling, godly act. Sometimes you got to turn over the tables in the temple, right? Mm-hmm. 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 So to sum up here, if I've, if I've captured this well,
0: uh, there's sort of a a relativism two step that's that's occurred. Is occurring in in the uh, United States, and so we were set up for this by the ultimately, I think, positive thing of trying to have um, an objectivist orientation towards journalism, which persisted for decades. To it, never, it was never perfect, but we had sort of this commitment to mainstream journalism being uh, having strong um, strong codes and ethical codes of, towards being objective, and then something has happened over the course of the last couple of decades. Where that's been progressively undermined by a couple of factors. This is the, second part of, this is the first step of the two-step. Um, one is the increased amount of polarization in society. And this is something that political scientists talk and write about, is how mm-hmm. polarization comes in waves, but we are at the crest of a wave of immense polarization in the United States. And the second thing that shifted is um, the business orientations of, 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 of mass media. Uh, And the production of of, of journalism and how um, real journalism is becoming more expensive, news aggregation is cheap, um, and uh, blogging um, for one's own private benefit is cheapest of all, and those things are increasingly conflated uh, by by technologies. With those two things in mind, the result of the two-step is someone like Rudy Giuliani, former mayor of New York, now uh, lawyer for the president, saying the truth isn't the truth. And that's a funny quote to trot out, but what he's essentially saying is you can't trust anything. Uh, it, and that closes the loop on the, on the relativism two-step. That, uh, we, there's, there's no point in paying attention to anything because it's all just partisanship. It's all just jerseys. And what you guys are proposing is that to be a... To, uh, and I'm coming, kind of coming, coming back to the term that, Matty, that you're sort of skeptical of, but <laughs> to be a journalist informed by Christian ethics is to say, I need to break that dance. I need to break that two-step down in a way and say that that uh, real truth does matter and real truth matters um, not just for um, uh, not just for Christian journal not just for for journalism but for my faith and I sit at the intersection of both of those things I'm informed by one to do the other and um, that's really a very inspiring reason for why we do what we do here.
1: Well, I would argue that if you look at the Society of Professional Journalists Code of Ethics, um, and it's broken down into to many details, but th- essentially there are four ethics, and uh, it's, it's seeking truth, it's minimi- minimizing harm, two mm-hmm. of which sometimes come into conflict with sure. each other, mm-hmm. it's um, acting independently, mostly from power, and accountability. When you mm-hmm. mess up, you fix it. And you're transparent about why you did what you did. All those are really important to Maddie. None of those, nor the breakdown of those and what that looks like in almost any situation in journalism, none of those come into conflict with Maddie as a Christian, Sure. with me as a Christian. Not a single one is asking us to do something that would, would, would go against God. And Quite so, the contrary. Uh, mm-hmm. our Christian faith influences those things right. or, or motivates those things. You can see the Bible yeah. all over that that code of ethics. Yep. Um, just as I would argue, you don't, I mean, there, there's an assumption out there that, that you can't be a member of the Democrat Party and be a Christian or that you can't be a member of the Republican Party right. and become a Christian, like even supporting capitalism. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Marshall Allen in the New York Times just the other day just makes the case that uh, it's a lot easier to be a Christian journalist than it is to be a Christian uh, business person.
2: Yeah. Mm. Marshall Allen was a missionary for a few years. He never had a journalism degree. Big
1: shot in young life, too. Yep. Yeah,
2: young life. Okay. Um, then he randomly got a job at ProPublica um, with the case that being a Christian actually helps him be an ethical journalist. Um Bef- but what what is interesting is before he was a journalist at ProPublica. I don't was he at Christianity Today.
1: Uh, he, w- he 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 did he had, he did not want to go into Christianity. He was at a newspaper in Vegas, and he thought he could do more good in in the regular media than he could just, you know.
2: But he was at because I met him when I was in New York, mm-hmm. and he was at a Christian news outlet. I don't remember what it was, but for only for a short period of time because. Um, he realized that the ethics in actual Christian journalism were um, weaker than the ethics in, I hate using the term mainstream journalism, but... In the SPJ. Yeah, Yeah. in the SPJ. Because he felt like he was protecting the church and the the pastors and he wasn't um, shedding light on what maybe light should Mm -hmm. have been shed on.
0: And these are things that um, we're going to continue to grapple with. Uh, We... We, we entirely elided over issues of constitutionality um, <laughs> on issues of, of First Amendment uh, uh, guarantees in the United States and how um, challenges from whether it's the White House or whether it's from Congress or whether it's from a big business uh, or whether it's just even from public perception of, of, of relative value of, of, of media uh, might be challenging the media's right to, um, uh, to report the news and to
1: have, um, and to have freedom of expression Well, and and, and the media is just one of many institutions that are under attack right now, right? I mean, the Mm -hmm. Department of Justice, um, even churches. I mean, a lot of institutions Mm -hmm. are having their foundations rocked. This one in particular, though, just kind of hits Maddie and I at at a core. And uh, we just believe we need to keep doing our jobs and doing them well. It's maybe never been more important than to do them well. But, yeah, there is precedence in history. Uh, We've created wars through mm-hmm. the media mm-hmm. in this country. Okay, we have to be careful, and now is a good time to be careful.
2: And sorry to interrupt, but oh. I I don't want it to seem like we're the victims either because I think um a big part of it is what journalists have created. Um hmm. my first day in my internship in New York, the CEO of Salon Media came in and he um somebody asked him anonymously if he felt like the newsroom was diverse enough. Um and he said, "Look around, there's about half women here, half men, and the um racial mixture was pretty strong. There were a lot of I mean I would say half white people, half non-white." Mm-hmm. Um but I was looking around and I was almost like, "Are you are you serious?" Because he then he asked, "Who is who is uh, Republican here?" And nobody raised their hands. And then he asked, "Well, who is liberal?" And everyone raised their hands. And he mm-hmm. said, "Well, that's because we're a liberal uh, publication." And then I was thinking to myself, which "Well, is, which is pulling on a jersey?" That's not diverse at all. That's the opposite of diverse. If everyone here is liberal and um, I heard quite a few um, slurs against Christians in the room as well. So um, just there's, there's more to diversity than um, what you can see with your eyes. And I think religious diversity in the newsroom and also political diversity in the newsroom is huge. And that's something we've done to ourselves. Um, that's kind of politicized.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would argue, you know, I don't want to make, Christians a victim here too, though. Either mm-hmm. I mean, from especially not from a power standpoint. But twenty years ago, a journalist would never admit either one that mm. they were conservative or liberal. Right. Would never admit that in public, much less even in the newsroom. You know, there were certain boundaries that you did not cross. Now maybe that's dishonest. Maybe it's more honest to be honest about who you are, but but you know, again, we haven't done a good job of educating our public about that either. so when we look at bias in different media outlets, and I know we gotta go here pretty soon, a lot of what pushes the Wall Street Journal to be seen as more conservative or what pushes the Washington Post to be or New York Times to be seen as more liberal are the opinion pages. Right. Which right. they're also careful to have a multiple, you know, views on, but mm. the reportage doesn't lean either way. That's what you were right. talking about. You know what right. I mean? But yep. How how good a job have we done in educating our public about the difference between an opinion page, a personal column, and actual reportage on the front page? Right. I, I mean, we have all true. those issues, some of which, which Maddie is saying, we brought on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And some of and some of the uh, publications or, or, or outfits with. with Perhaps less integrity are blurring the lines between their editorial pages and their and their reporting as well. It's harder to distinguish those things. It's which
1: is why SPGA code of ethics is so important: to be transparent, to be accountable mm-hmm. for the decisions you make, to act independently. You know, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, it sounds like we have two kinds of polarization that we're dealing with. On the one hand, there's polarization within society, which is making the job of journalism harder. And on the other hand, there's polarization within actual outlets for journalism which is making that job harder internally as well.
1: Um. But all that said, just like uh, comedians on late night TV would tell you, uh, it makes for a lot of great stories, (laughs) a lot of great jokes, you know what I mean? I mean, there's never, I mean, August has always been the slowest month for news. In sports, in politics, in everything. We have no shortage of news right now. Nope.
2: (laughs) There are stories
1: everywhere. I'd like a little bit less. And there's an uptick in journalism schools uh, okay. getting getting recruits there's an uptick in Christian journalism schools Ooh. getting recruits we're doing okay and a lot of that has to do with the polarization in this country right now
4: hmm.
1: yep hmm.
0: so perhaps a silver lining instead of a gray
1: cloud if if truth wins out yep okay Sorry, this has been such a somber episode. I mean, <laughs> it's w- rainy. We joke around about this stuff all the time uh, too. I mean, we find it pretty funny some of the Facebook comments that that Maddie has to deal with too, <laughs> and that are just outrageous and over the top. Uh, she deals with them professionally, but sometimes you just need to laugh at some of them to to get through the day. You know, because mm-hmm. it's so ridiculous.
3: You know. Yeah. And, and I do think, I mean, just, I mean, you mentioned Facebook. I think that's another, I don't know, we don't want to probably go too deep into that. But I mean, just the advent of social media itself, I think, has been very detrimental in that sense. I mean, people, um, in general, I mean, this is one of the things that, you know, we've we've sort of found is people in general dislike the news. I mean, just, just people don't generally consume it, oftentimes at will. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And part of what we can, part of the way we can see that is, you know, prior to the advent of cable news, everybody watched um, the evening news, but that was because that was the only thing on. And we had this Um, shared experience of what the truth was. Exactly. And as soon as that goes away, as soon as you start to have cable and people have, and VCRs and people have options as far as what they want to see, people gravitate away from the news. You know, they want to watch sports, they want to watch sitcoms, whatever. Um, And of course, that's only proliferated and become even more extreme uh, with with social media um, and the internet. And so people's appetite I think in this um, for hard news, you know, for, for serious truth telling is actually pretty, you know, I think this is sort of an uphill battle because um, people's just general appetite for actual news and truth um, is pretty small. Um, mm. People generally don't want that. They, um, uh, even, even if they aren't necessarily like, uh, you know, if, even if we just sort of set aside sort of the partisan polarization bit itself, um, you know, just the technology itself is pushing against, um, you know, people's desires for truth. And, and I think, you know, part of, part of what we have to, um, encourage or cultivate, and I think this is, um, a bigger danger that we just face in our, in our culture in general. I mean, we, you know, our culture in general sort of doesn't, doesn't, doesn't care for the truth i mean we've been very much Mm. sort of geared towards what feels good right now and Mm. you know there's sort of the you know there's sort of i guess a hedonism to that but there's also um you know our our sort of uh, prioritization of choice you know our our ideals that i should be able to get whatever i want right in the second um oftentimes what people want isn't the truth what people want is what's going to make them feel good in the moment and so that really um changing people's appetites almost in some sense or giving people um a desire to um to know truth in itself is sort of a a big challenge and i'm not sure how we i'm not sure how i'm not uh, you know i think that's a structural problem in some ways because of technology and i think it's a a big hurdle in, in, in itself. Well, the
1: fragmentation of the audience, that's true. But the, the answer that used to be, let's give people what they need in journalism right. by, by, by uh, packaging it as something that they want. But right. the problem is when Ohio State loses <laughs> or Ohio State has, a, has a, a big controversy with their coach. I have no idea what you're talking and about. And there's yeah. a huge, huge Ohio <laughs> State fan here who loves truth and is smart and everything. You, If Ohio State loses on Saturday, are you picking up that Sunday paper to read all about it? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not, right? Even and that's more, where we're at with politics and news as well. Yeah. Even you know more, what I mean? Even yeah. more poignant example,
0: and this this shames me to tell you this, but obviously I did my graduate work at Ohio, in Columbus. I went to Ohio State.
4: How could uh, you? I know. <laughs> I know. Um, it's my fault. It's too but, bad, Chris. Uh,
0: I was part of a church there, and um, we knew, because uh, Ohio State wins football games quite a bit. It's um, also to, too bad.
1: Yeah, I know. Keep going. But...
0: Um, <laughs> On Sundays after a Saturday where Ohio State lost uh giving at the church would drop by about thirty percent um and that's just uh that's that, that's terrible in right? Nebraska a but, story
1: came out that that uh domestic violence went up yeah um when the huskers weren't as good i mean that's scary yep
0: so um all that to say, I I don't I don't want to cut this off, but we all do have places we need to run, and uh, I want to I, I my, my thought I keep coming back to is that um, in some ways it, it, in in Mitch's notion of a of a society that runs away from truth that looks for confirmation bias that looks for things that satisfy what we already wanted to believe and perhaps even propels us to pursue news information and reporting and journalism that already supports what we wanted to believe and we select on that variable that. Um, our faith, which causes us to or ought to cause us to deal with uncomfortable truths, and to deal with uncomfortable truths, perhaps maybe makes, uh, uh, in an earnest way, it calls us to be more thoughtful about um, the the news and the truth that we consume too. Mm. I know that's a little bit Pollyannish, but I'm known as the department optimist, so I'm going to leave it. <laughs> at <that>. Well,
1: and <laughs> studies have shown, and it's been borne out from no matter what criteria you choose to study that. Um, George W. Bush was the least transparent president ever Obama ran to be The most transparent ever And he became the least transparent president mm. ever And now we have You're not going to believe this We have the least transparent president ever So until we as a society Demand more Of our leaders And more truth And start seeking out truth In ways you know that that the idealist wants And, and that the political scientist Is, hope, scientist is hoping for um, I think we're going to be in trouble, but we got to figure out how to get people to want that. We have mm-hmm. to engineer them somehow, we academics. Maybe Maddie can figure it out by just doing good journalism. I, uh, that's my hope. And we'll keep teaching. We will keep teaching. Thanks, friends. Thank you. Um, on behalf of
0: my uh, friends here, Mitchell Crum, Maddie DeBilson, and Scott Winter, you've been listening to Election Shock Therapy. Uh, we'll be back in your feed with another podcast shortly. Go Royals.